Let's bow our hearts together, shall we, before the Lord this morning. Gracious Father, we hear the words of David, I do not concern myself with things that are too difficult for me, but like a small child weaned before his father, weaned in the lap of his mother, so I remain silent before you. We thank you, Lord, for the great privilege of trusting you. So many questions are unanswered. So many difficulties are unresolved. And yet above and beyond it all is a sovereign God who is working on behalf of his children for their eternal good. And what a blessing to let you be God and us to be your trusting children. It's in Jesus' gracious name that we Thank you for all these things. Amen. A number of years ago, I was listening to Pastor John MacArthur preach in Chicago, and he said something I'd never heard before. He said, people pain is the worst kind of pain. People pain is the worst kind of pain. And I believe there is a great deal of truth to that. Uh, physical pain is primarily an assault upon the body, but people pain is primarily an assault on the mind and the emotions. Physical pain can be treated, it can be medicated, and many times it can be cured or at least relieved, but people pain, when it goes unresolved, goes on and on. And the ache in the soul is sometimes always there. If I were to ask us this morning, and I won't ask you to do this, but if I were to ask how many of you at this very moment have unresolved people pain in your life, I think a lot of hands would go up. A lot of hands. And so the question is, when we have unresolved people pain, how do we trust God as we've just been singing? Well, this morning in our study in the Psalms, we are turning to Psalm 4, and I would invite you to take your Bibles there, because this Psalm is how to trust God with people pain. Now, perhaps you may be aware that the very first two prayers in the Psalm, Psalm 3 and Psalm 4, were when David was experiencing people pain. He was being pursued by his own son, Absalom. And former friends of his, whom he had trusted very, very much. Now Psalm 3 was written in the morning after the most dangerous night of David's life when he made it safely over the Jordan. And then Psalm 4 was written that evening, sometime later, as David reflected upon how God sustained him. So think about this. Two Psalms, one written in the morning, one written in the evening, all about how do you trust God during people pain. Now David gives uh, two answers to this question in the psalm, so we're going to look at those two answers, and then at the close, he gives three takeaways for every believer that you can count on and say, I know this is true. So let's begin, shall we, by looking at the answers to how do you trust God with people pain, and here's the first one, pray based on what you know about God. Pray based on what you know about God. Look at verse 1 
of chapter 4, David now writing that evening after he had made it safely across the Jordan. He says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now we have to ask this question, what is it that we know about God that encourages us to pray to him? And notice what David tells us, we know God is righteous. The English Standard Version says, he is the God of my righteousness. Do you know that phrase only occurs here in the Bible? This is the only place where this phrase, God of my righteousness, occurs. Listen to what God is saying. God knows who is right. God knows if you are right. And if you are right, God cares. And he takes notice about what others are doing to you. And because God is concerned about justice, he'll ultimately rescue you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us that when Jesus comes again, he is going to deliver his people and vindicate them. And the Apostle Paul says this is only right because God is a God of justice. He will defend your cause now or in heaven before the bar of God. I know a man who is very bitter. Bitter because his cousin cheated him out of the inheritance and got away with it. What do we need to add to that statement? What do we need to add to that statement? Got away with it for now, right? Got away with it for now, not in eternity. Not in eternity. God is so concerned about justice that he'll adjudicate wrongs at his judgment bar. And listen, if he cares for that much about justice, then imagine what we can appeal to him now if we will leave the timing to him. If God cares that much about justice, then what does that tell us we can appeal to him now for if we will leave the timing to him? And then I want you to notice something else we know about God. God has answered prayer in the past. God has answered prayer in the past. When David says he was in distress, that's a word that means a tight corner. And then he says, when you gave me relief, that means to be brought into a large place. Boy, that first night was David in a tight corner. He was between the Jordan River and Absalom with 12,000 soldiers. And you know what God did on his behalf? If you look at 2 Samuel 17 sometime, God caused Absalom to take the wrong advice, delay, and let David escape. God messed with Absalom's mind so that David could escape. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can God mess with people's minds? You better believe he can. And if God can do that, what else can he do when we pray to him? 
And then I want you to notice something else that we know about God. God is gracious. David says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now, gracious is a very important word in the Bible. We must understand exactly what it means. It is a word that means the free bestowal of favor. Grace is the free bestowal of favor. There's such a beautiful balance here. All answered prayer is the free exercise of God's grace. I should say that again. All answered prayer is the free exercise of God's grace. He owes us nothing. He reserves the right to answer our prayers in the way that he knows is best. C.S. Lewis got it very right when he said this, prayer is a request. And what do we know about requests? They can be denied. Lewis was right. God will be gracious to us, but in the way that he knows is best in answering our prayers. I want you to think about it like this this morning. You might pray for a very needed promotion at work. And then you see that promotion go to somebody less deserving and you say, God, why would you respond to my prayer in that way? You know that I need this promotion. And God may be saying this, I know you need to be content. And I also know that other people need to see how Christians behave when they're passed over, right? And so God will be gracious to us in the meantime, sustaining us in the way that he chooses. God is a gracious God. Now I want to ask a question at this point of all of us. Who's the first person that you turn to when you're wronged, wounded, or mistreated? I don't know how you would answer that question, but for me, it's often people. It's often people I turn to first. Now that's not wrong, And we need the help of other people when we have been wounded or mistreated. But for the child of God, God is the first one we ought to turn to. The very first one. The New Testament scholar J. Gretchen Machen knew a great deal about people pain. And this is what he said. He said, the more we know of God, the more unreservedly we will trust him. The more we know of God, the more unreservedly we will trust him. And it's what we know about God that encourages us to pray. Now I want you to notice there's a second answer that David gives in this psalm about how to trust God in people pain. And the second answer is this, react based upon what God knows about you. React to them based upon what God knows about you. Now, notice this is the exact opposite. You pray based on what you know about God, but you react to people based on what God knows about you. Look with me, if you would, at verses 2 through 5. There's some tremendous, tremendous personal psychology in what David says. Look at what he says. O man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? 
How long will you love vain words and seek after lies, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself? The Lord hears when I call to him, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now, David's procedure here is a brilliant procedure. He appeals to his enemies to change. He tries to win them over to the right side. By the way, isn't that the way the Christian should always begin? Shouldn't we? We should try to win our enemies to the Lord's side. There's an old statement. I think you can finish it with me. The best way to destroy an enemy is to make him a friend. Yeah. And David tries to do that, but he doesn't succeed. Ahithophel, his trusted counselor, he committed suicide at the end of this. Absalom fought all the way to his death. But in the process of appealing to his enemies in this psalm, David was reminded of who he was. The truth about him caused him to feel less stressed about his enemies. This is a remarkable thing. There is tremendous psychological insight here. When we realize what God says about us, we realize we are in a a position of strength. And when you are in a position of strength, you are less threatened by what other people do. There is tremendous psychological insight here. When you understand what God says about you, you now are in a position of strength, not weakness, and therefore you will be less troubled about what other people do to you. Now what does David say here God says about believers? What does he say about us? Well, let's look at it together. Number one, you have integrity. You have integrity, or at least you are able to have integrity. The first thing that Absalom tried to do was destroy David's reputation. If you go back sometime to 2 Samuel 15, there are three lies he brought against David. Number one, he said David was guilty of malfeasance. Number two, he was guilty of mismanagement. And thirdly, he was indifferent. None of those were true. Look what David says, verse 2. He says, they are all vain words, they are lies. David knew since his forgiveness from God, he was living in integrity. And when you are operating in integrity, you're operating from a position of strength before God. And therefore, you do not need to be weak. What a blessing this is. When people are wronging you, and you know I have had integrity, you are in a position of strength, and you need not be weak. You know, sometimes people will say this to me. They'll say, Pastor, I wronged somebody. I've tried the best I can to make it right, and I've apologized, but they won't forgive me. What do I do? What do I do? 
And here's what I say to them as a pastor. I say, if you've owned up to this the best you can, and you've tried to make apology the best you can, then they are now responsible to forgive you. And the only thing you can do is live in integrity from this day forward. And if you will, God will bless you for your integrity. Notice the second thing that David says God knows about us. You are in God's sovereign plan. You are in God's sovereign plan. Look again at verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, and so the Lord hears when I call to him. Now, brothers and sisters, this is an amazing verse. This is a statement of God's sovereign purposes for his children. You'll notice the word godly here is singular, so it's a general principle. It includes you and me. And the word set apart means to make distinct or to make distinguished. It is the same word that God uses of choosing Israel and making them distinct over Egypt in Exodus chapter 33. And then I want you to notice God says this is a relationship for himself which we receive in salvation. Listen, this gave David great, great comfort. He is saying, God chose me. He set me apart for a special purpose. He's going to accomplish that purpose. The plan began in eternity past. It is being carried out now, and it will be finished in eternity future. This reminds me a lot of what Paul says to every believer in Philippians 1.6. He says, I know this is true. He who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, David understands this. I've been forgiven for what happened. I'm now living in integrity. And I'm in God's sovereign plan. So therefore, David knows this. My enemies are not fighting against me. They're fighting against who? They're fighting against God. Have you ever looked at it that way? Whoever is wrongfully treating you is fighting God. By the way, the key word there is wrongfully, right? Who's ever wrongfully treating you is fighting God. And God may direct you to take certain steps to protect yourself, but the battle is his. It is not yours. You remember what God said to the Israelites? He said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need only to be still. Now I want you to notice a third thing that God says about every believer. You are living to please God. You are living to please God. At least that's the opportunity that every one of us has. Look at verses 4 and 5. Be angry and do not sin. 
Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now you know what David is doing here? He's calling on Absalom and all of his supporters to repent and turn to God. He says to them in these verses, stop fighting against the Lord and begin living to please him. Let's just stop here for a moment. This is the whole goal of salvation. God has saved all of us who know him for one reason, that we might live to please him. Paul says in Ephesians 5.10 that our goal in life is to find out what pleases the Lord. Now do you know what verses 4 and 5 are doing? They're telling us how to do that. By the way, a little insight here into the two Testaments. Often what we are told in the New Testament is illustrated for us in the Old Testament and fleshed out. The New Testament says, let's live to please God. And now here in Psalm 4, verses 4 and 5, as David appeals to Absalom and all of his supporters, he tells us how to please God. Would you look at it for just a moment? The opening line can be translated this way, in your anger... Do not sin. There's the first step in pleasing God. Deal with sin in your life. Whenever we as the people of God are dealing with sin in our life, we are pleasing God. And then notice the next thing. Listen to your conscience. Listen to your conscience. Notice what he says. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. What is David saying? Listen to your conscience. Let it speak to you about your behavior and be sensitive to it. And then the next thing involved in pleasing God is make sure that as far as you know you're living an obedient life he says offer right sacrifices in the Old Testament right sacrifices were always accompanied by obedience remember what God said to his people what is this trampling of my courts he said don't bring me sacrifices if it's not accompanied by obedience and then finally put your trust in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I don't know of a better prescription for how to please God. I don't know of a better prescription. Deal with sin in your life. Be sensitive to your conscience when it speaks to you about your behavior. Make sure that as far as you know, you are living an obedient life. And then trust the Lord. You know what David is saying? If you're living this way, God is pleased. You're on the right side of God. And if you're on the right side of God, you need not fear what your enemies will do to you. You remember what Abraham Lincoln said during the Civil War? He said, let us not pray that God is on our side. He said, but let us pray that we are on his side. And David says this, if you have integrity, you're in God's sovereign plan, you're living to please him, 
you are on God's side. And therefore you need not fear what your enemies may do to you. Now David closes with three takeaways for every believer. And these are so important, you can mark these down as true, and whenever you are dealing with people pain because you've been wronged or mistreated, these are your security. Number one, no matter what people do, God is good. No matter what people do, God is good. Look at verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Is there anybody here today who feels that way? Who's going to show me some good? This is so difficult and hard. Is there any good I'm going to experience? Notice David's answer. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. That's the Aaronic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Would you finish the statement with me? God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. No matter what people do, God is good. Number two, no matter what people do, God gives joy. No matter what people do, God gives joy. Look at verse 7. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a pretty good payday. Your grain and your wine abounding. That sounds like a check with a surplus bonus in it. And most people are very happy when they get a bonus surplus check. And here's what David says. You put more joy in my heart than that. What's he saying? Circumstances go up and down. People are so unpredictable. But God is a stable source of joy. And no matter what people do, God can give us joy. Uh, Pastor E.V. Hill, uh, many years ago, pastored in Watts, Los Angeles, a very, very dangerous area. And he said that as he would drive down the roads of Los Angeles, he would be praising God in his car. And he said people would say, well, there goes Pastor Hill again. He's a little touched in the head. You know what he said? They didn't know who I had in the car with me. Who's in your car? God is. And no matter what others do to you, He is always a stable source of joy because He puts that joy in your heart. Here's the third takeaway this morning. No matter what people do, God gives peace and safety. No matter what people do, 
God gives peace and safety. Verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David had slept the first night when he got on the other side of the Jordan. He knew God had allowed him to sleep. Now it's 24 hours later, and he says, Lord, I'm going to sleep again. Because no matter what people do, you are the God who gives peace and safety. In that same message where Pastor Hill talked about the joy that the Lord gives, he said one night, in the middle of the night, he was called by white supremacists, and they said, we are coming over right now to kill you. He hung up the phone, rolled over, and went to sleep. Uh, Let me mention this. God may direct you a little differently. Right? Martin Luther hid in Wartburg Castle. Okay? So he didn't just roll over and go to sleep. But God directed Pastor Hill to do that. You see, when you are in God's sovereign plan, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And you can lie down and sleep because the battle's not yours. The battle's His. Did you hear about the man who was very, very worried one night? He couldn't sleep. He just was troubled and had insomnia and suddenly it struck him. Lord, you are always awake. You're awake in the day, you're awake in the night, you're always alert. And he said to himself, Lord, if you're going to stay up all night, I guess maybe I better get some sleep. And it was his knowledge of God that enabled him to do what David said, lie down and sleep. Are you experiencing people pain right now? Pray based on what you know about God. React based on what God knows about you. And then here are the three takeaways. No matter what people do, God is good. No matter what people do, God gives joy. No matter what people do, God gives peace and safety. Let's thank him, shall we? Would you bow together with me? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, David is clearly describing believers here, those who have trusted in the Lord.
And if you're unsure where you stand today with God, the Lord Jesus graciously invites you to come to himself. Cast yourself at the foot of his cross, cry out to him for his saving mercy. And he has said, he who comes to me in real faith and repentance, I will never cast out. And then if you're here today and you are one of those people where you have unresolved people pain, and there's an ache because it is not going away, would you tell the Lord that you're going to respond to what he's taught you in this psalm? You're going to pray because you know who he is and how he responds to his children. You're going to react to that person from a position of strength because you know what God says about you. And then you're going to affirm the truths of God despite how people behave. Boy, what a difference that can make in your life. Father in heaven, we love you today. We thank you. We are in awe of you. And as we sang just a little bit earlier, how sweet it is to trust in you. For Jesus' sake, amen.